You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 6th. I'm Portia Cook. And I'm Kira McKinley. And you're tuned into KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with updates on CSU's research on brown algae. Then Portia covers the local news with updates on a decrease in local sales tax on hygiene products. After that, Portia reports on music, entertainment, and events news with information on an upcoming Laramie County family preparedness and safety fair. Then tune in as I interview the director of CSU's Black African American Cultural Center, Dwayne Ruff. Karen McKinley then reports on environmental news with updates on healing in the ozone layer. After that, I go into national news with updates on President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. Then stay tuned as Ewan Perp goes over updates in CSU sports. And to conclude today's show, I take a look at what Fort Collins has in store for the weather this week. Let's move right into campus and local news. This is Kira McKinley reporting your campus news for Thursday, October 6th. When you're cooking dinner, you likely aren't thinking about the potential toxins you could be breathing in and if they could harm you. But maybe you should be. Colorado State University scientists were involved in a research experiment that took place in 2018 that has recently been published in Environmental Science and Technology which overviews what chemicals may come from cooking and how they could affect people. Delphine Farmer, who is a professor in the chemistry department at CSU, co-led the experiment. There were 60 other professors a part of this experiment as well. Overall, the experiment found that, quote, indoor air isn't going to kill you, but we do find that indoor air has more, and oftentimes at higher levels, known and potential air toxins versus outdoors, particularly when you're cooking, end quote. In 2022, Farmer and Marina Vance, who is from the University of Colorado Boulder, led up a follow-up experiment that dove deeper into how chemicals emitted indoors and reacted with surfaces such as floors, walls, and furniture. Information comes from CSU Source News. In other campus news, A Colorado State University biologist, in partnership with researchers from Germany and China, are discovering how the biochemical mechanisms in brown algae convert sunlight into energy. The scientists have, quote, unveiled foundational new insights into the revolutionary steps these algaes took to make their novel brown pigments, which are called foxithins, end quote. Brown algae produces 20% of the Earth's oxygen. Information comes from CSU Source News. Thank you for listening to my campus news updates. Now on to Portia Cook. I'm Portia Cook reporting your local news. You may start to notice a price drop in some essential personal hygiene items thanks to support from the Board of Larimer County Commissioners. In their latest Administrative Matters public meeting, the board voted 3-0 to to pass the resolution to support a sales tax and use exemption on essential hygiene products in Larimer County, otherwise known as the Don't Tax Dignity Bill, outlined in House Bill HB 22-1055. The bill, which is sponsored by Colorado Representative Susan Lawton, Denver, and signed into law by Governor Jared Polis, creates a state sales and use tax exemption commencing January 1st of 2023 for all sales, storage, use, and consumption of incontinent products, diapers, and menstrual products. According to Larimer County officials, for many in Colorado, these essential items are often out of reach because the sales tax increases the already high prices for these products. According to Larimer County officials and the Women's Foundation of Colorado, families spend on average 
$15 per month on period products per family member and about $75 per child per month for diapers. The tax exemption will help make these products more accessible and affordable, especially for lower-income populations. Larimer County Commissioner Kristen Stevens said, quote, These products are expensive. It can be really difficult for people to budget for these items. They're necessary for hygiene and other reasons. To give some relief to people in our community is a really great thing to do. We're all really enthusiastic about this, and it's really a way to make a difference when people are struggling with expenses. This is a small step in a way we can help people in our community, end quote. To celebrate the exemption during the month of October, three essential product donation drop boxes have been placed at three Larimer County facility locations. The drop box locations include the Larimer County Administrative Services Office located at 200 West Oak Street in Fort Collins, the Larimer County Loveland Campus at 200 Peridot Avenue in Loveland, and the Larimer County Justice Center at 201 LaPorte Avenue in Fort Collins. Items collected from these locations will be donated to local charities. A Colorado State University-led project is helping meteorologists across the country report on impacts of Hurricane Ian. According to Allison Still of CSU Source News, the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network launched shortly after the 1997 Spring Creek flood in Fort Collins. Since then, the network has grown to approximately 25,000 citizen scientists who use rain gouges to provide the National Weather Service with precipitation reports in their local area. Citizen scientists can add comments in addition to their real-time precipitation reports, both of which can help the National Weather Service issue flash flood warnings after receiving reports of heavy rainfall. Precipitation numbers are public and can be found on the Kokora's website and the National Weather Service website. Hurricane Ian has impacted the ability of meteorologists to obtain daily precipitation reports due to the combination of evacuation and power outages. Now, data collected by a team of citizen scientists as a part of the CSU-led project is helping meteorologists in Ian-affected areas with those precipitation-level reports. Since its launch, the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network has spread to all 50 states and Puerto Rico. The network is also being used in locations including the Bahamas, Virgin Islands, all provinces of Canada, and most recently, Guam. Noah Newman, the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the network, told the source, quote, These citizen scientists are doing something very easy but meaningful in making reports to the scientific community. Newman said, I think sometimes in these days it is easy to feel powerless. This is something tangible that anyone can do to help their community, end quote. Those looking for information on how to become a citizen scientist and set up a weather gauge with the network can visit kokoras.org. On September 28th, Colorado State University and its partners broke ground on a new Fort Collins apartment development. Rendez Vestrell Apartments is a housing collaboration between CSU, Timberline, and Tedrad Real Estate. The seven-building complex will include 180 units with between one and three bedrooms. 60 of those 180 units will be set aside for CSU employees. 48 of the units will be priced for those earning 80% of the area media income, with 60 units being priced for those earning 60% of the AMI. The new development comes after results from an employee housing survey conducted in 2021 found that CSU needs to put a greater focus on its efforts to make housing more affordable. 
Interim CSU President Rick Miranda said, quote, As a university concerned with equity and with attracting and retaining the best staff and faculty, it matters a great deal that too many of our employees can't afford to live in the community where they work. We know from our employee housing needs assessment that we already have more than enough demand to fill those 60 units, end quote. The first phase of units is expected to be completed in fall of 2023. Information from this story comes from Jeff Dodge and Mike Hooker of CSU Source News. Larimer County is inspiring unity within our community by honoring those living in long-term care facilities. To help honor those residents, the Board of Larimer County Commissioners proclaimed October as National Long-Term Care Residents' Rights Month. Larimer County Commissioner John Khalifa said in a Larimer County Government Facebook post that in 2025, about a quarter of the population in Larimer County will be older than 60 years of age. Khalifa's mentioned the concept of doing what we can as a community to ensure people who live in long-term care facilities can do so with dignity. I am Portia Cook, and that's all for your local news. Hey, this is DJ Asher. And this is DJ Dallas. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. entertainment news, Larimer County is hosting its 2022 annual Family Preparedness and Safety Fair of Northern Colorado. The event will kick off on Saturday, October 8th at the Ranch in Thomas and McKee 4th Building at 5280 Arena Circle in Loveland from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. This year's Family Preparedness and Safety Fair includes over 20 life and fire safety vendors and information booths. Attendees will also be able to tour emergency vehicles, participate in free safety classes conducted by the American Red Cross, partake in raffles to win prizes, carve and paint pumpkins, and join in other fun children's activities. A pumpkin sale will also be available by Bartels Farm. The Family Preparedness and Safety Fair will be presented by emergency management, emergency response, and emergency service agencies throughout Northern Colorado to promote community preparedness and safety within our communities. This event is open to the public at no cost. The New Belgium Brewery features Friday live music with Sarah Salton and The Great Perhaps. The concert will kick off on Friday, October 7th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the New Belgium Brewery in Fort Collins. Sarah is a singer-songwriter and Arkansas native who learned to play the guitar in the Ozarks before traveling to Denver, where she founded the rest of the members of her band. The band includes Sarah Joel on the keys, Matt Fink on the drums, Ryan Gimbeski on the lead guitar, and Ben Jankowski on bass. More information about this concert can be found on the New Belgium website. 
The Larimer County Clerk and Records Department is hosting a special Passports Day on Saturday, October 8th at 1 o'clock p.m. Typically, in order to get a passport, a weekday appointment is required. However, County Clerk Myers said that making an appointment on weekdays can be challenging for working families. Myers said, quote, we're hoping this extra passport day will ease that challenge just a bit, end quote. Regardless of being a Larimer County citizen or not, anyone who needs to obtain a new passport can attend the passport special event, no appointment required, and have their photo taken and passport initiated in all one trip. Parents who are looking to obtain a passport for their children must both be present with the child. Additionally, two separate payments will be required and one must be by check or money order. The event will be located on the first floor at 200 West Oak Street in Fort Collins in the Clerk and Records Recording Department. More information on this event can be found at larimer.gov US passports. Now, an interview with myself and the director of Colorado State University's Black African American Cultural Center, Dwayne Ruff. Northern Colorado is home to several community organizations, groups, and nonprofit organizations serving Hispanic, Latinx, and Black African American communities. Join me as I sit with Dwayne Ruff, the director of the Black African American Cultural Center at Colorado State University, to talk about his personal experience with Black focused community groups and to learn more about the impacts of BAC on Black students at CSU. sitting with Dwayne Ruff, who is the director of the Black African American Cultural Center at Colorado State University. Dwayne, thank you very much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into back, I do want to talk a little bit about your background. You were born in St. Louis, but I just found out that you grew up in Park Hill. Park Hill, Denver, yes. Park Hill, Denver. What brought your family out here to Colorado? There are not a lot of economic opportunities in St. Louis for folks in my family has an interesting history there. I have a couple of uncles who've gotten into some legal trouble. And so one day we got pulled over and the cop says to my dad, oh, you're one of those rough boys. And that was enough for my mom to say, we need to leave. And she knew we had family out here. Uh, Dr. Evie Dennis is my great aunt. And at the time she was a leader in the Denver Public School District. And her daughter, who's my mom's first cousin, uh, she was also doing a lot of great things in education. Uh, my uncle was a Denver Bronco player, so they saw a lot of opportunity here in Denver that we didn't have there. And um, with the reputation that some of my uncles were creating, my family said, yeah, let's get on out of here. It's time to go. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned a lot of your family, it seems like being in the realm of education, community impact. And from what I know, most of your professional career has also been within education, community impact, wellness, from teaching to directing back, you coach track. What would you say has influenced your professional role today? I think it's definitely moving out to Colorado and and seeing those educators. My aunt, Evie Dennis, she was the superintendent when I was in middle school middle and elementary school. She oversaw desegregating schools. And not only that, but Howell's also brought up in a sports environment. There was a lot of adults, men and women around that um, supported our efforts, supported what we do, kept us on the straight and narrow, because it was 
in the 90s, you know, in the inner city in Denver, there was a black community and there was a lot of drugs and violence and gangs. And I grew up right in that. And there were a lot of adults that we don't talk about that were really hell bent on not allowing our generation to succumb to those same issues. So like right before my generation, there's some folks who didn't get out. But then my generation, a lot of people that graduated with me and over the next few years, a lot of us are successful with college degrees and supporting families and doing that directly because of the men and women who decided that they weren't going to let these communities succumb to this to these things. Definitely. Now, I love hearing about that support. Would you say looking back, that support was just individuals that were maybe family friends or family themselves? Or can you recall any type of community impact center, nonprofit or community group that you were a part of or that was accessible to the Park Hill community growing up for yourself as a young black kid and other mm -hmm. black kids? So there were two locations. You had Eastside and Park Hill, and those were competing neighborhoods and competing colors, Crips and Bloods on one in the other, right? So in the Bloods neighborhood, which was Park Hill, was Skyland Rec Center. And that was the hub. That's where, you know, I'm in the weight room with Chauncey Billups. We're working out. We know each other. And there's other athletes all over the place in that space. And we all grew up and know each other. On the east side is a place called Glen Arm and Red Shield. Those are other same group of kids are in there doing the same thing. And I kind of went from both communities because I grew up on both sides of that. Right. So there was a real community. The community organizations were kind of a hub, but it wasn't necessarily just family, friends. It was a ideal. It was a commitment, a community commitment from everybody. The idea of it takes a village was truly what I grew up in. So they didn't have to know me like that, but they all we all knew each other because we were all connected by either sports or by church or by community center, all that. And so all these adults were always looking out for us. Like I remember once when I... Uh, I was walking to the rec center to go work out and I had my bag and I had my football shoes in the bag because I'm going to go work out. And the cops stopped me because they thought they, something was in my bag. Well, one of the men from the community center saw this, came out there and ripped the police officers, giving them a riot act, like just going up and down. You stopping this young man here doing this, you criminalizing him, all this kind of stuff. So there were a lot of people who really worked to protect and keep us going in the right direction. That's interesting. You know, like I said, I'm native before Colin. I know a little bit about Park Hill. That's actually where my kids' dad is from. But hearing you speak of Park Hill in that sense, the tight-knit community, the supportive system that was there, you don't hear that about Park Hill. You hear the complete opposite about it. And why do you think that is? Why is this the first time I'm just hearing about this whole entire different side of a Black community? I think because the number of people who didn't engage with that is still pretty high. Right. Because the words the same time, I know a lot of my friends who are successful right now. There's still a good group of them that were lost to the streets or lost to gang violence or lost to there's three or four friends of mine that I know that are dead right now because of gang violence and, or just their own mischief that they got themselves into. So I think there's just as much of a, just as many of us that got out successful as they got caught up in the game. Right. So it's kind of the duality of the community, very much like you hear about Compton. You know, I recently went there because my wife's family's from there. And you know there's horses in Compton? There's a whole area of Compton that's zoned for horses and nice houses and all that. But we don't hear about that part of Compton, you know. So I think this same similar nature with Park Hill, where you got 
right in the same on the same block, you may have two or three families that have kids that are successful and two or three families that have kids who are in jail or no longer with us. Right. So I think you're going to start hearing more of those narratives because now our generation is growing up. We're starting to be the leaders of these communities and we're just trying to replicate and enhance what was done for us. You spoke about there being community resources, but maybe not everyone having access to them or taking um, advantage of those resources. Luckily, it seems like here in back, though, we have a big community, a large group of young adults that are taking advantage of an amazing support system. So let's talk a little bit about back. One of my favorite things about back when I come in here, and I've just now started to come in here a lot more, I feel so welcomed. I've never felt insecure to come in here. Everybody acknowledges me. The energy is so good. What is it about back and the people here that create that feel good environment, that welcoming environment? Well, I think historically what it's been is it's been that safe haven. It's been that support system, that resource. It's been a, a mini version of what I grew up in, right? Which is what made me gravitate towards it as a student. So I think the idea of having an office like this where students can come and be themselves and they find the support, and this can be their kind of home base as they go springboard out into the rest of the university. I think that's the the beauty of the space and the energy of when of what it was created for still persists to this day. Because you think about back when they started this center, there was not that many black people. So you come in here, this is, you can finally let go. You can finally just be. And I think that energy is still here. And now, you know, with every director, we just tweak it a little bit to the generation of students that's here. And we, and we just keep the vibe going. Definitely. Let's talk about representation, because obviously the back provides that. But I think a lot of people, when they hear representation, they automatically think of physical traits. And I think that's absolutely a big part of it. But how else outside of physical traits is back providing our black community here at CSU with representation? You know, I think what the first thing that we do is we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And, you know, Martin Luther King, he built his whole platform around economic empowerment. And so here, our main goal is to make sure we are graduating black students. So you will find that support here first and foremost. You will find that focus here. No matter how many events we do, no matter how many students we have in the space, the one thing that we tell students is you need to go to class, you need to do your work, and you need to graduate. And we have amassed a number of resources to help students navigate that journey. So that's the first thing we do. The second is, what I like to say is we also want to showcase blackness and center blackness. So the events we do around the homecoming pageant, the Black History Month events, all of these things are to help students understand and learn and have their blackness along with them on their college journey. And then it's a learning space. So there's so much that we support students in that's not in the classroom. And that's the way I like to think of our space. Students spend about, what, 10 to 12 hours a week in the classroom, if that. That's a lot of, that's a lot of additional time. Yeah, it is. So that's why we hire students. You know, we, we have them mentor other students. We create events for them to go participate in outside of things. So we just try to make this a place where, you know, we're trying to develop the whole person. So the physical space is here to support students, maybe mentally, emotionally, 
And then we have the academic space, which helps support students' work and their success. So that's the main thing for us is graduating students, because if folks like MLK were here today, then they'd say, yeah, we need to make sure that we are producing folks who are going to go be in these roles that can make change. I think one of the unique aspects of BAC is that it does offer that family style support. It's not just you come in here and it's your stuffy space of, you know, straight line, like this is what you do here, this is what you don't. I really feel like I'm in here with a bunch of my younger cousins at a family reunion. Talk to me for those that might not understand what that family style support looks like in a space like this on a university, what does that look like on a day-to-day? You know, I, I think of it like this. You know, there's an old black joke where, um, and I don't even know if it's a black joke, a family joke, where you say, in your family, you know, you got, you know, you got the sugar addict, you got the the alcoholic, you got the, you know, you got the uh, the nice aunt, the, the nice uncle, you the know, you got all the nose. <laughs> so you got all these people, right? What I like to say is we're that family with everything. And we love every one of them, right? So we get students that come in here from where well, this is a culture shock because they're in, they've never seen this many black people before. That was me. It's a culture <laughs> shock because it's, is there's not enough black people for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a culture shock because they haven't been challenged academically like this. They may talk white. They may have multiracial experiences. They may, whatever the case may be. We've built this space to say, whoever you are, you are an embodiment of the black community. You are a, you are the culture, right? And that's what I tell our student staff all the time. Like, you are the culture. And you need to tell the students that you mentor that and the students we work with. So whatever we get out here, that's the culture. And the mix of it becomes the mix of the culture. And it comes with all their other identities. It comes with all their other um, vices. It comes with all their other successes and joys. That's what it's about. Now, would you say that Fort Collins and Northern Colorado in general provides enough spaces like back? Um, Fort Collins doesn't, but it's not on Fort Collins to do that. You mentioned the track team that we do. The model for that is based on what I've experienced. The model for that is based on what has made me successful. And so what I'm realizing is we are now the people that have to be the ones that created. So if we didn't go create a track team, then there'd be a whole dynamic in this community that wouldn't exist, that didn't exist before we did that. So I just think that we have to take the onus on ourselves. And now, as I look around, I can look in Denver and friends of mine that I grew up with are now city and community leaders, right? Um, I look here in Fort Collins and people that I know are the leaders of the institution and the leaders in the community. So we just have to be the ones to not look to someone else. We have to be the ones to create it. Fort Collins is not gonna do that for us. The city isn't. And we, I think we all know that. But it takes effort and it takes work and it takes commitment to keep up those spaces. Absolutely. And I think I'm committed to it because I've seen what happens when people commit to that. And I've watched the generation of friends of mine thrive because of it. We're still connected to those folks who, as all those that are still here, we're still connected to those folks who paved the way, who made it possible for us. So all of all I see this as is paying it forward. And the more we do, we take what they did and we evolve it and make it better. So then the next group that comes up after us, they take it over, they evolve it, and they make that better. So it's just a it's just a constant, constant movement. 
So it sounds like you would like to see us do better for ourselves. Yeah, and there's help, right? There's things the city can do, but I think um, what I've seen, the city is they're, they're ball players. They're playing ball with us. So I've done several partnerships with the city already, um, and they've Juneteenth, Martin Luther King. Um, we've done some yoga in, in natural areas. They're open to it, but they're not going to move until we move. Jumping back to back, <laughs> give me your best example of how back is working to make Black lives better here on CSU campus. You know, I think one of the best examples that I can give, hmm, our retreat we just went on. So we take 50 plus students to YMCA at Estes Park for a two night retreat. It's a phenomenal time. But um, one time last year, one of the first year students, she's talking at the end of the circle and she said, you know, I've never had a father figure. And Dwayne, I see you in that role for me. Like you play that role for me here. And it made me think of two things. One, it was like, wow, when you sit in this seat, the director of this space, what you mean to these students is so much more than just a resource. And it just made me realize, wow, I'm a father figure to her. And my father figure to anybody else that just doesn't have the, you know, the strength or the courage or the, you know, or they just haven't told me, right? And then two, the work that we do here is about making sure that students see the potential within themselves. And sometimes they need to see themselves and other people to do it. And our and this place and the professional staff that exist here are some of the only places where these black students get to see themselves professionally, see themselves with families, see themselves see themselves in, I can raise a kid, I can work and do a doctorate program, I can work and go to school, I can work and, and own another business, right? So the depth to which we are, you know, role models to these students is far deeper than what I realized until I heard that comment. Absolutely. And I knew it, but it just hit different when they say yeah, yeah, you know, and so that story is probably the big, biggest example of what we do here. We're father figures, we're mother figures, we're aunts, we're uncles, we're resources, we're counselors. We are, we're a lot more in this space for students than just an office that they can come to and chill. That's why I do this. Dwayne, thank you again so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much.
chicken nugget. All right, sweetie. Um, I'll call over the waiter. Uh, waiter? Waiter? Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Yes, how, how can I help you? Um, I'm not sure what we really want to order yet. Do you have any recommendations? Uh, well, what we do have as a special right now is the KCSU app. Ooh, an appetizer. What's in it? It's actually an app for a radio station where you can listen to all of your favorite shows and podcasts and more. Oh, wow. That sounds really good. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to help your hunger or anything, but it is going to hook you up with some cool tunes. So. Ooh, I'll download that app right now. Wait a minute. Do I know you, Dad? <gasps> uh, 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 download the KCSU app today. In environmental news, a small fish that once caused a federal dam's building to be derailed during the Endangered Species Protection Act in 1970 is no longer considered endangered. The snail drotter's only known habitat is in Tennessee, and biologists held up the building of a dam for two years in order to protect this fish. Although the dam ended up being built, scientists rounded up the fish and introduced it into new rivers. The snail drotter is one of five fish to be delisted from the federal list of endangered and threatened species due to population recovery. Interior Secretary Deb Hayland, in response to the delisting of this species, said, quote, A remarkable conservation milestone that tells a story about controversy and polarization can evolve into cooperation and a big conservation success, end quote. Information from this story comes from NPR. The Antarctic ozone layer is expected to heal in 50 years, according to Now This Earth News. The ozone is one layer in the stratosphere, which is a second layer of the Earth's atmosphere. The ozone is important as it protects the Earth from UVB, which comes from the sun, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA found that damage to the ozone layer takes place when, quote, Chlorine and bromine atoms come into contact with ozone in the stratosphere. They destroy ozone molecules. One chlorine atom can destroy over 100,000 molecules before it is even removed from the stratosphere. Ozone can be destroyed more quickly than it is created. End quote. In the 1970s, the U.S. banned the use of chlorofluorocarbons, otherwise known as CFCs, and aerosol propellants and aims to help restore the ozone layer, according to the EPA. Now This Earth News said that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, otherwise known as NOAA, reported that there has been a great decrease in the substance that harms the ozone layer since 1980, and NOAA expects the layer will fully recover by 2070. In other environmental news, here in Colorado, next week we could see the first big snowfall of the season in the high country, according to Nine News. Nine News found that cooler weather that is expected to arrive late next week could bring several inches of snowfall in areas between 8,000 and 9,000 feet in elevation. While Nine News does say this snow could start building a good base for ski hills in Colorado, they warn against residents in the Denver area getting too excited for this upcoming storm. Nine News then said that some forecasts may predict snow in the Denver area, but overall, they think this is unlikely that residents in the metro area will see any snow from this upcoming storm. 
Thank you for listening to my environmental news updates. Stay tuned as after the break, we go into national news. In national news, President Biden's student loan forgiveness applications that were announced in late August are opening as soon as this week. Those who earn $125,000 or less in both 2020 and 2021, or married couples who earn $250,000 or less in both 2020 and 2021, can have as much as $10,000 forgiven from their student loans. If these individuals applying for the loans also received a federal Pell Grant while in college, they could potentially earn up to $20,000 back in student loans. The Department of Education has said that the applications for the student loan forgiveness plan will be short. Once applicants fill out this application, it will be reviewed, and then an official reviewing the applicant will determine their eligibility and let the applicant know if they need any further information. Currently, this program is expected to cost $400 billion. Information from this story comes from CNN. Last month, it was reported that a package exploded at Northwestern University, and the explosion of the package was reported to have injured an employee, resulting in him having a hand injury. Now, new information has been released that the employee who received that injury fabricated the whole incident and is now facing charges. In response to this incident, an FBI special agent said, quote, Throughout the course of the investigation, we believe he repeatedly lied to us about what happened inside the lab, faked his injuries, and wrote a rambling letter directed at the lab threatening more violence, end quote. The employee, Jason Duham, was a newly hired technology manager and director of the Immersive Media Lab at Northwestern University. In response to the situation, Northwestern released a statement that said, quote, Northwestern would like to thank the professionals in the FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, and Boston Police Department for bringing this investigation to a close. They go on to say, Knowing what we know now about this incident, we would like to make it clear that there was never any danger to the Northwestern community. As always, the safety of our students, faculty, and staff is our highest priority. End quote. Information from this story comes from CNN. A person in custody of the U.S. Border Patrol in El Paso was shot and killed while in their custody. On Tuesday, October 4th at 12.45, the victim was shot. They were transported to the hospital and later died. The Mexican consulate in El Paso said the victim was from Mexico and was being processed for criminal charges. The FBI, El Paso Police Department, and the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Office of Professional Responsibility are investigating the situation. Information from this story comes from CBS. In the past month, two rappers have died in Los Angeles, California. Latricia O'Brien, whose performance name was Half Ounce, died at the age of 32 in L.A. after being fatally shot. Police responded to this situation in Koreatown late Monday evening. Police are still investigating this case and are looking for a man wearing dark clothes who left the scene on New Hampshire Avenue in an SUV. Information from this story comes from NBC News. In other national news, inflation is on the rise, and now it may impact some Americans' travel plans. Americans have recently been reporting that they plan on taking steps to save money by having shorter vacations and partaking in fewer activities that cost money. This is in response to the ever-increasing gas 
airfare and hotel costs. In the matter of a year, airfare prices have risen by 28%, hotel prices have increased by 4%, and gas prices have increased by 26%. In addition to these high travel prices, as a result of the increasing inflation rate, a senior industry analysis, Ted Roseman from Bankrate, says that there may be other travel complications underway as well. Quote, hopefully this holiday season won't be as messy, but I suspect there will be more travel disruptions due to high weather, high demand, lingering staff, and equipment shortages. End quote. Information from this story comes from CBS. Thank you for listening to my national news updates. Now stay tuned for you and Pert's CSU Sports Updates. This is Dr. Scotty, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. This week's RMR Sports Update. This week we have seven teams to talk about. The first being volleyball. They're going into this week at 11 and 4 on the season, currently on a four game winning streak, and they have two games later this week to continue that good play. The first will be against Nevada, and the second will be against San Jose State, both here in Fort Collins at Moby Arena. Up next, we've got football, who is now 0-4 on the season. They've got one game later this week, uh, and they will be heading to Nevada to play Nevada. Up next, we have tennis, and for the first time ever, CSU's tennis team will be participating in the ITA All-American Championships at the beginning of the week. Up next is women's soccer, who is now 4-3-5 on the season. They have a streak of three ties in a row, but they are looking to earn the game's favor as they go up against UNLV and Nevada at the end of the week. Up next is women's golf. The Rams golf team took third in the Colonel Wallenberg Tarmagam Ram Classic and will be looking to improve on their good play going into DU's Ron Moore's women's intercollegiate throughout the end of the week. Up next is women's swim and dive. At the end of the week, the team will have their first real competition of the season as they head to Fresno, California to play in the Chick-fil-A Invitational. Up next is softball. The softball team will be having a pair of games at the end of the week against the University of Nebraska. I'm Ian Pert. This has been your sports update of the week. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather forecast for today, Thursday, October 6th. Today was sunny and warm with a high of 70. Tonight, you can expect temperatures to drop with a high of 43 and partly cloudy skies. Friday, temperatures drop even more with partly cloudy skies and an expected high of 57. Saturday continues with partly cloudy skies with temperatures in the mid-60s. As for Sunday, temps jump back up slightly with a high of 71. And for next week's weather, you can tune into the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU weather report and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. 
We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guest today, our news producer, Reese Granger, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time. 